Hello, and welcome to the Why We Argue podcast. I am Robert Talese, your host. I'm professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Why We Argue is produced by Humility and Conviction in Public Life, a project based at the University of Connecticut, which explores how to balance our deepest commitments with open-mindedness, a respect for reasons, and intellectual humility. The series, which is made possible by generous funding from the John Templeton Foundation, features brief discussions with publicly-minded thinkers about the state of civil discourse in contemporary democracy. Today, my guest is Tom Brooks. Tom is head of Durham Law School, professor of law and government, and associate in the Department of Philosophy in the School of Government and International Affairs at Durham University. His academic work is focused largely on issues in ethics, criminal law, and public policy, but he's widely known as a critic of the UK citizenship test. His most recent book is about this, and it's titled Becoming British, UK Citizenship Examined. Hi, Tom. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm fabulous. Great to talk to you. Great talking to you. Now, um, let's get right to it. Um, Tom, uh, as listeners may have already detected, you are American by birth, mm-hmm. and you have recently acquired UK citizenship. Now, I know you've been paying very close attention to the political scene, both in the U.S. and in the U.K., um, it seems to me that both countries are in the midst of some kind of political reorientation. Uh, that's one way to put it, I think. And it seems that longstanding norms um, regarding civil discourse, um, regarding political speech, and maybe longstanding um, categorizations of political views and allegiances seem all to be giving way. What do you make of this? Well, I think that there are um, there certainly are some some parallels um, broadly between the election of, of Donald Trump in my native United States and um, in the the so-called Brexit uh, referendum uh, here in, in the United Kingdom. Um, though I, I also wouldn't make too much of some of these uh, similarities. I think that you know one one thing that seems to be true as the dust still settles. On, on both results and, and, and people still try to, uh, figure out, uh, how expectations, um, about what the results would be got, you know, went so wrong. Um, but both results were not, um, widely predicted, um, certainly not much in advance of either event. Um, it seems that one of the things that's going on for both, um, is that there's, there's a sizable number of people, um, who feel to some degree, um, Dispossessed is probably too strong, but alienated probably isn't. Um, this problem of alienation from and uh, what uh, difference does the result really uh, mean uh, for me? So one of the surprising things from many of the American commentators I was following, uh, watching uh, Trump's uh, rise to the White House was you know, there'd be a number of comments made that uh, seemed to... Uh, uh, lack evidence or lack uh, support, um, and a, a lot of criticism of, of, of what he was uh, arguing for and, and, and his means of making it happen, and, and yet the support seemed to remain um, untouched, unfazed by uh, some of this. And what explains some of that? Well, some of it was a kind of, a, um, it would seem, a, a real distrust of 
mainstream media, mainstream um, um, reporting, life as usual, politics as usual. And I think something fairly similar happened in the United Kingdom with the vote to leave the European Union. Um, by uh, turning attention to the UK, uh, here, you know, by almost every account, you know, the, you know Britain has been part for over 40 years in the, uh, this developing close entanglement with uh, European Union institutions. That's a lot more than just about trade, although the European Union is its, uh, is Britain's largest trading bloc. It's about security arrangements and, um, uh, refugee arrangements and a variety of, of other, uh, uh, ties that really, um, are fairly uh, comprehensive. And what you saw were scenes the day of, of the, of the vote of jubilation of crowds such as not too far from me here in Durham, city of Sunderland, where you, the first to report a, um, their results and was a resounding vote to leave the European Union. And it was very puzzling that you had a, a city where the number one employer <laughs> was a, a company, a European uh, branch of of a company that was trade, making cars to sell in Europe, and and this irony of well, why are they celebrating um, ending uh, or or possibly uh, limiting, damaging their biggest local employer? Do they hate what they do, or how could this be? And I think what was really going on is people just didn't think one there'd be any negative consequence from the vote. Um, so I think alienation was um, a very deep-running uh, uh, thing here. And this real um, interest in, in a sense, sticking it to um, the, the, the powers that be, the politics as usual. I said at the beginning, I don't think I'd, I'd make too strong a connection between uh, these, uh, these, these events because we've had, um, in Britain, we've had what are called by-elections. There's been a couple members of parliament that have stepped down to take um, other jobs. Both of them happen to be uh, from uh, the Labour Party, which is in opposition um, in this country. And um, and in both those seats, things in the in the contest uh, for them, uh, things went back pretty much to politics as usual. The big party that has been driving the whole independence from Europe um, for many years, uh, called UKIP, the UK Independence Party, absolutely nosedived um, in um, these uh, by-elections, and it included their new leader who took over from Nigel Farage, made a real uh, show for it in one of the seats that was really primed to deliver UKIP's second uh, member of parliament, and he just bombed um, and uh, had a humiliating uh, finish. And and, and and UKIP didn't even really show in the other, other election. And so to some degree, this rejection of the establishment, elites, etc., and so forth, um, hasn't, I don't think, really kind of taken off um, in, in Britain. The Tories are very, the Conservative Party are very much um, the governing party. That hasn't changed. Uh, this is, they've been in place now since 2010, broadly um, in power, and, and that doesn't seem to be uh, too shaken um, by this. And, and it led by Prime Minister, who campaigned for Britain to remain. Um, in, in Europe, she seems to be stronger than ever um, uh, right now, rather than uh, weaker by this. So there's some kind of thing here about a general uh, 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 voters uh, being, I think, alienated and uh, being um, 
uh, trying to, uh, you know, what's so bad about the results for me? I'm not really uh, caring, it seems, too much for a celebrity. It seems the more celebrities were arguing for Hillary Clinton or arguing for Britain to stay in Europe, the more people reacted negatively uh, uh, to that. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, uh, you know, but Britain, I don't know how much the winds have really uh, changed, um, uh, to be fair. And does that seem to you to be a difference between um, the U.K. and the U.S., where I take it arguably um, – you know, we see polls about uh, Trump's popularity and approval and all of this. Um, any polling that shows uh, any waning uh, uh, or, in fact, any unpopularity um, is dismissed, of course, as um, fake or uh, uh, trumped up. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, as fake. Um, and um, uh, but. Um, doesn't look like uh, the 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 support among those who supported him uh, has waned very much. Or do you think I'm wrong about that? No, I don't think you're, you're wrong about that. Um, so, um, and that seems right. Um, shifting a little bit then to kind of a comparison over here, there's been you know a, a strong support for. Um, for Britain uh, leaving the European Union, um, the in the run-up to the poll, Remain had, was always uh, in the lead, uh, but um, the lead wasn't huge. Um, certainly wasn't for the months leading up to the, the election itself, and it was a narrow win, 52 to 48, um, uh, for leaving. Um, and so I think you know, not a world away. And at the moment, you know, a lot of the the, the Feelings of the, of the public when they've done polls, you know, do they want a second referendum right now? You know, people think, well, you know, well, what's really changed? Um, you know, the, the sky hasn't fallen. Of course, Britain hasn't actually left. Um, right. So, so any of the negative effects haven't haven't unfolded. Where the difference is now, going back to America, you know, Trump uh, did become president, and now there's a chance to to see in action whether or not he's able to achieve a lot of the things he he said he would, and you know he. He claimed he was going to have all the best people doing all the best things and all the rest of it, and has already had uh, one member of his cabinet um, leave within uh, uh, what, a couple of weeks, right. um, and so on. And so there's already, it seems, you know, even the most ardent supporter has to admit it hasn't been the most seamless uh, uh, transition. Uh, things are not uh, up and running um, as they would be uh, normally. They might well blame um, other forces for how it's reported or what's going on, but it's been certainly has been a difficult few weeks for, for the Trump administration. And it seems that, yeah, some of the, the support has, I think, eroded um, a, a bit uh, for them. Whereas, whereas over here, the Brexit thing hasn't really happened. You've got a government, there hasn't been a general election. You have a government that was for remaining. Prime Minister is a new Prime Minister than the one who led us into it, but was on the side of remaining. Um, her position isn't threatened at all, um, certainly certainly not with, from within her party. And um, and the Tories won a seat from Labour in a uh, what was normally a, a safe Labour seat. But the UKIP, which was the big upstarts, the big shaking things up, the uh, identifying with Trump, you know, Nigel Farage and Trump, you know, representing certain, uh, a new alt-right um, resurgency and so on. Yeah, it has just nosedive. And, and I think at the moment, um, you know, UKIP, uh, just they have only one of 650 members of parliament. They weren't able to increase it at all. They're 
Um, and I just think that they're not something to worry a whole lot about. There is something to worry about for any uh, uh, politician about folks who feel alienated and that their elected representatives don't uh, act in their interests, they don't do enough to respond to the interests of people on the ground at a time where um, in Britain the economy is, is sluggish and um, the currency has, uh, has nosedive uh, in, in the wake of, of Brexit. It's fallen uh, fairly dramatically uh, since the vote uh, in June last year. Um, and so um, I think, you know, that's a concern for people. But that, that concern about uh, where the country is going has not translated to, uh, as far as I can tell, a permanent shift away from any of the other, uh, from, from the mainstream politics. It's true, just to, by way of just trying to be complete about it, um, on the Labour Party, they do have the, uh, the, the most left-wing um, leader the party's had in some time, and I am, uh, and I advise um, uh, the, the Labour Party on immigration uh, policy. But um, but I've done so before the leader took over, and and the leader took over before any of this kind of stuff was really uh, 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 kicking off. So I think that even there, that's not been hasn't been any kind of big shift uh, there uh, either. It remains to be seen. There may well be something, but it isn't it isn't obvious yet. Well, so let me pick up on that because it does seem that one of the um, ways in which the political scenes on both sides of the pond, as it were, uh, are connected is um, they seem both, at least largely, not completely, but largely um, concerned with issues about immigration. Does mm. that seem right? Um, and it looked as if that um, that was a big part of um, the uh, the the case uh, for Brexit, that um, yes. immigration is this is this colossal problem. The standing governments, uh, the standing parties, um, uh, as long as they're tied to the European Union, uh, aren't going to be able to address it or take it seriously uh, on the U.S. side. Um, pretty much the same kind of narrative that um, – Neither the um, sort of politics as usual, uh, none of the politics as usual players and either uh, the Republican or the Democratic parties had any real incentive to address uh, immigration and none of them were going to be tough enough about immigration or willing to recognize the problems that immigrants pose for the country. Um, now, as an immigrant, <laughs> what, do you, what do you make of that? Um, wow. Yeah. No, that's absolutely, um, absolutely right. I think, well, I, you're my, my, uh, my view is perhaps against some of the, some of the conventional wisdom. I think, you know, this is absolutely true that immigration was a, a big part of, of the Trump campaign, that he was going to be tough in a way that we'll call that, we'll, we'll, for want of a better phrase, that the, the mainstream Republicans were not, at least in his eyes. And, and the Democrats were not in, in his view. And, and yet something similar in the UK. And I'll, I'll come to the UK second. In the United States, it's a, it's a curious. So where I think I depart from the mainstream is I think it wasn't so much an anti-immigration thing that he was really running on. It was an anti-immigration of certain people uh, that he was running with some immigrants and not others. You have a, a man who's president who is the uh, son of uh, uh, an immigrant from Scotland. His mother was was a Scot um, from I think the Highlands. Um, uh, he is uh, his 
two of his three wives, I think, have been immigrants uh, uh, themselves, naturalized American uh, uh, later. His his children are, uh, you know, many of his children are, uh, in a sense, first generation, at least on their mother's side, uh, American uh, citizens. And none of this was an issue, certainly for him. He, he didn't feel... Uh, and, and kind of standing up, you know, we need to slow down immigration. It wasn't about um, we need to prevent people like me and my family <laughs> of, of coming to America and being here and, and owning Trump Tower and, and other uh, other kinds of things. No, I think that the anti-immigration uh, uh, view that he would kind of espouse standing next to his immigrant wife from Eastern Europe was um, – you know, had a, had a subcontext. It had, uh, you know, that they were, they were, I don't want to call it the deserving and the undeserving immigrant, but it was something along those lines. We need to have a border, but the border's not on Canada. Right. Um, you know, we need to have a travel ban, but, uh, not on everyone. And curiously, um, you know, he's reformulated, uh, uh, now during the campaign, there was talk of, of a Muslim ban. There's been, uh, many steps away from from uh, from at least saying that that's what he's he's doing now. But curiously, you know, the the biggest uh, Muslim countries in the world, uh, or, or the the countries that have the most Muslims in the world, Indonesia, India, Pakistan, curiously not uh, on these on these lists. It's 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 folks who come from other uh, Muslim majority uh, 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 countries that are that are the target. So I think that that um, you know have it we'll, we'll, you know uh, have a different culture come from a different part of the world than Asia um, and, and some other places. And, and that's a and fascinating the, subtext. So right. there's this anti-immigration stuff. I think it's not anti-immigration against all immigrants because he's not against all immigrants. He's always – when he's in Scotland talking about uh, his golf course and campaigning against having wind farms uh, that the Scottish government has been keen to allow uh, against his wishes – uh, near his, his, his golf courses. He talks about how he's a proud son of Scotland. And, uh, you know, this make America great stuff is, well, he leaves that behind in New York. He's, he's a born again Scot, uh, when he's over here. It's interesting. And I take it that even the, um, the new version of the travel ban, um, uh, tar- you know, sort of identifies um, travelers from Muslim-majority countries, uh, but those countries that are identified isn't tracking any particular metric about terrorism or national security or that's anything. Right. That, Which, that's right. And that was part of his problem in the court, that, that there were two, it seemed, particular concerns. One was that it was a blanket, uh, he, had, he had some kind of blanket uh, bans based on nationality that was uh, that was uh, unconstitutional, and um, so Syrian refugees were going to be banned vis-a-vis their being Syrian forever under the original version. And the other problem was he had no rationale for why those countries are not others. He's now claiming the FBI has investigations open into about 300 people from people come from these countries on this particular list, which no longer has Iraq. But you know, are they looking at people in other? From other countries, are they more or less? Right. Uh, people under suspicion aren't criminals. And he claims he's being wiretapped by the FBI. So if we're worried about FBI investigations and people who are under investigation shouldn't be in America, well, he thinks he should be in the White House. <laughs> well, so let me ask, 
Let me let me let me. Shift. I, I had to drop that in. <laughs> let me shift gears very, uh, um, maybe subtly, maybe not. Um, let me shift gears in any case. Um, what uh, what do you think the political um, implications are? Let's say that the the kind of analysis you offered um, a moment ago about the election results, both the Brexit result and the U.S. presidential election result. Let's 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 stipulate that. You're correct that this is a um, a kind of populist reaction that has more of a um, uh, kick the bastards out or shake things up messaging to it rather than any um, overt, uh, you know, well-studied uh, support of the policies, that there was a kind of knee-jerk um, and maybe not – badly motivated, but just sort of a, an attempt to just shake things up in the politics. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the one hand, maybe one could say that um, an occasional election or, you know, large-scale government decision that's driven by that kind of motive might not be such a terrible thing every now and again. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I guess it, it looks like it could also be very dangerous um, in that, um, yeah. uh, you know, the 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 the, the Drain the swamp sort of thought winds up with, um, uh, you know, a government of people who might not know what they're doing. No, no, that's absolutely right. So, I mean, one of the comments um, about this, this this topic in a way that I'm reminded of is by my fellow uh, uh, Connecticut Yankee, uh, Ralph Nader um, right. from, I think, West Hartford, Connecticut, when – Ralph Nader was running as the Green Party candidate, though curiously, I don't think ever a member of the Green Party himself. Huh. Um, when he was running against Al Gore um, and, and Bush in that, that famous election, um, he was he said, you know, look, it's a tight race. If you drop out, you, there's a better chance that Gore might pass the finish line. But you were being involved to take votes away, and this is a bad thing because, you know, if, if you are this kind of left-wing Green Party guy – um, then and the, and the joke is uh, of, of some Green Party candidates that they're green on the outside and red on the inside, or at least some version of pink. Uh, then you know you're kind of harming the left wing cause in in Kachunius. And his line was that I remember him saying was, "Well, it's important for you know if if Gore doesn't uh, win, and since that's his fault, having someone like Bush, the, you know George W. Bush as president." could be very useful at reminding us why it's so important for the left to organize and be involved and be committed in politics. They'll see that the, the political reality, it isn't just the same whichever side you go to. There ought to be a difference and, and all this this kind of stuff. And I suppose that there's, that, that you know, I think the point that there can be something enormously damaging if, if uh, potentially if you've got folks taking over who don't know what they're doing and then do a very bad job of it because of the if, if for no other reason than the widespread damaging long-term effects on many people if they don't get things right, whatever getting things right might mean. I do think with both elections, one thing I, I, I you know, I, I also think is, you know, um, it's the case that the polls seemed right, that Hillary Clinton was more popular across the country with voters than Trump. It just seems that more of her supporters didn't, uh, feel as strongly about voting for her as some of Trump's supporters felt for him and that his core 
was maybe smaller than hers, but they turned up and hers didn't. And if more of the country turned out to vote, we'd have a different result. Certainly with Brexit, it was the case that the vote in the cities were down. If the city vote was up, um, then we would have had a different result. It wasn't much of a difference between the two sides, only a few percent. Um, and so I think that you have two results that were fairly close. Um, and, and I, um, you know, and, and they are seismic and we'll be talking about them forever. Um, <laughs> and they could represent because of the potential. I mean, the Brexit potential consequence is massive uh, for the UK. It's potentially massive for the United States in losing a very long-term ally, if, um, if America is looking for its ally in the European Union, a country that speaks English, um, it'll be looking to the Republic of Ireland uh, instead of Britain. Britain is no longer going to be at the table if, if everything is followed through, and that will have um, serious consequences, negative consequences, I think, for um, uh, Britain. On the other side, you know, uh, Trump's politics, undoubtedly, if he gets his way, um, whatever one's views are, if you support him, if you don't, um, you know, he represents something different from uh, other other parties. And if he uh, has some success in uh, seeing through his agenda, it'll inevitably have uh, uh, massive consequences and um, will take uh, many years um, to to change. Um, and so, uh, you know, these things, these elections that do matter, um, they, you know, they're not just kind of wished away. And, and it's important that you have the right people in the right spots who, who know to some degree uh, what they're doing. I dare say one thing I, I like more about the, uh, one thing I potentially like more about the British system is it does have a, a um, well, at least formally, a nonpartisan civil service that does most of the grafting. There is not a lot of, of political appointments at all um, when uh, governments uh, change hands. You have the same people uh, who are there on merit, who are running through bipartisan uh, groups who find themselves advising on home affairs, on the Treasury, on defense, and so on. You, you know, you do not have a cabinet of people who are appointed by some executive. You have people who are almost entirely elected themselves um, through uh, election, election process. And so then you have, so in a sense, the, 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 the risks of, 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 uh, uh, ministers, people in cabinet, not getting the right advice, whatever that advice is, not having access to, um, as close as you can find it, impartial um, evidence about certain topics. I don't think you have quite the same – Britain's got many problems politically, but I don't think you have that issue um, to the same degree. As I say, Britain has got lots of problems. Uh, it's also a smaller country. It might be easier to manage these kinds of things. But I think it has a more resilient, highly skilled civil service um, that is divorced from um, having anyone master. Right. And that weathers the storm a bit better. And that is able to take people who might be new in office and upscale. And, of course, it's also the case in the run-up to any election that the shadow, uh, so the people in opposition and those in government, all uh, sit uh, the same set of training on how to run their departments and so on by the same uh, uh, groups. There's no um, things are all in it together, so that there is a seamless transition. And hey, at the end of the day, the Queen's still in charge. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, Tom, that's another issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been very generous. Um, 
let me just ask a sort of final question. Um, so do you think there are any lessons that we should take away or any advice? I mean, to a lot of people, I, I take it, uh, in, in both of our countries, um, there's, there's a, a kind of disorienting, um, aspect to the political scene these days where, um, as I said earlier, you know, political allegiances and the ways in which political categories that help to classify people and platforms seem to be, um, uh, in upheaval. Um, and, uh, in the States, at least it's not uncommon, you know, I, this is not a random sampling of people, people uh, at, at Vanderbilt University who talk to me about these things, students and otherwise, are often um, express some version of the thought that there's something um, sort of dizzying or disorienting about, uh, the, about the last several months uh, politically in the country. Um, any advice? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's, there's some degree of, of disorientation, you know, with the, with, in Britain, with the Brexit vote, uh, whether Europe, being part of Europe was a good thing or a bad thing, is something that split the parties in different ways. The Tories were largely split down the middle. Uh, Labour was more Remain than Leave, but had a sizable Leave minority. Um, Liberal Democrats, um, and the, um, the Scottish National Party were, were both committed Remain. But, you know, you did have this division within parties. It did obviously make things uh, more complex and, and has, um, has had some twists and turns uh, here, even if it is still, I think, the case that areas that are traditional Tory are largely remaining, that areas of traditional labor are that. There are lookings for alternatives, but, um, but that's still something um, that's in transition and hasn't had the big transformative moment that maybe Trump was. But coming to your main point, I'll try to answer it by uh, uh, turning to a philosopher. Um, which I sometimes, which I sometimes do. Um, so I might be head of a law school, but I still think of myself primarily as, as a philosopher without shame, embarrassment, or qualification. And, um, and, and I, I turn to Hegel. So Hegel, uh, claims in his philosophy of right that the single biggest problem facing modernity is this problem of, of, of what he calls the rabble, this problem of alienation, this thought that it's not necessarily about people's material wealth, although lacking material wealth may well make a rabble likely, but it's this thought. What unifies the rabble is it's a kind of mentality, he says, a mindset, that no matter how loud my voice, no matter what's my engagement or lack thereof, I make no difference, that there's a a thing called the state, um, the community, that is run by others, for others, in their interests, almost autonomous um, uh, from me. And we, and Hegel thinks that when people have that view, this is a very kind of, this, this kind of subversion, as it were, is a very dangerous thing for, uh, for the state. Now, the thought here is not that, and therefore we should all be thinking the same thing. Um, that's not the case. But the thought is that where, when we think about our rights, and uh, how we will overcome conflict and how we might work together, that um, there is no together. There is no connection between you and I. You are just doing your own thing, and I don't matter, and therefore I will take things into my own hands. I will act upon a law unto myself. Um, this is a this is a very destabilizing um, 
kind of thing. Now, some might think it's welcome in societies that maybe where the, the rules are bad anyway and ripe for uh, correction, that, that anything is better than where they are and, and, and so on and so forth. But as a point of principle, there's, you know, I think that there's something to this, this thought of alienation um, as, as a problem, um, certainly for um, a well-ordered society uh, of any description. Um, and I think that that sense of alienation is one that we are seeing kind of expressed these days uh, with a certain type of volume um, but on both sides of Atlantic in different ways, um, you know, loudly and clearly. It's not quite clear how politicians are going to really uh, respond to this. My, my, my experience in, in America is that my representative back in New Haven for many years has uh, never uh, directly responded to anything I've ever <laughs> written to her about, and she's been the representative for many uh, decades. Um, whereas in, in Britain, um, there is a more openness and, and greater engagement with the academy, which is not seen, universities are not seen as uh, ivory towers by most uh, politicians. They're seen as, as friends, as great sources of, 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 of evidence um, to be, uh, you know, and to be taken for, uh, for what they are. There's, a, there's far greater openness uh, here. Um, I've spoken to politicians on, across all of the major parties um, uh, despite my advising only uh, one of them, mm-hmm. uh, hasn't been any problem for seeing the others uh, over the years. Um, so a very different type of, of openness. And what are the and basically this question about what the uh, parties are going to do uh, to uh, respond to this. I think that acting as normal won't work as people are bowling alone even more than they might have ever bowled before. Um, uh, in their echo chambers on, on Twitter, uh, on other social media things, uh, where a lot of the news people might get is from the, the, the friends that they have on Facebook or Twitter alone and they're, um, unable or, or lack of time or don't value uh, other uh, ways of accessing information. Uh, this is, this clearly, um, changes, changes the game and without some type of uh, if you're not going to have some kind of robust uh, uh, public spirit, it doesn't have to be communitarian, but some type of, of public engagement between um, uh, citizens and, and one form or another, and, and in the absence of some kind of greater uh, uh, focus on civics and civic education um, in either of our countries, more so than what you might find here, uh, then you're going to have this fragmentation of people kind of going into their limited echo chambers more and more not engaging with each other because they don't have time or interest and or access to information and um and whatever change we think we're seeing now is just going to become even greater in future perhaps some shake up is um you know necessary anyway how things are uh, you know I'm a hegelian how things are is not how it should be <laughs> um but um uh, but there's more than one way of transforming uh, uh, our, our, our politics into something that works better for citizens, whatever that might mean, whatever ideology people have, whatever view of the good people might have. And I think um, just simply shouting at each other and, and claiming things as true that aren't without facts and evidence, whether it be about immigration and Brexit debate or other issues with, with Trump's travel bans and other things, 
It's just not the way to do it in the long term. So um, we all need to uh, worry about that. The problem of alienation that uh, troubled Hegel uh, in the early 19th century, I think, still troubles us today. Well, Tom, that's uh, that's a wonderful advertisement for Hegel, uh, who um, uh, so. can always use good press, I think. Um, <laughs> so thank you for uh, for talking to us today, Tom. Pleasure. And thank you, uh, listeners, uh, for tuning in to the Why We Argue podcast, which, again, is produced by the University of Connecticut's Humility and Conviction in Public Life Project with generous support from the John Templeton Foundation. You can follow the project on both Twitter and Facebook at at Public Humility. Um, thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs>